Gleason, I don't want to have to keep you after school. You be quiet while I'm doing the intro, okay? <laughs> Welcome to the State of America Album Club. An in-depth roundtable discussion on music's most notable albums. All right, everybody, welcome to the first episode of the State of America Album Club, a new venture that we're trying out here. There's going to be five of us here today, and this is going to be trial and error and see how this goes. We're going to start our album series with technically the last studio release from a little band you might have heard of them called Oasis. That's Dig Out Your Soul. But before we get to the album, I'm going to introduce my fellow reviewers here and uh, see what they think of my intros here. First, tell him what you desire and he'll bag it up. That's Mr. David Hudson. David, how are you? Thanks for having me on, Ian. <laughs> and it's your first time with first time we've ever worked together, you know? Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to it. Heard good things. Yeah, did you? I heard yeah. I usually hear good things about the other guy, you know. All right. So he's got his heebie jeebies in a little bag. Mr. Steve Gleason. Steve, how are you? I'm great. Nice to hear everybody. Yes. Steve is well known to the state of America crowd. He's very popular. His last episode did very well. People like bald men, especially yeah. handsome bald men. I know. All right. Well, one out of two ain't bad. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> All right. And taking a walk with the monkey man, we got Mr. Jason Donchus. Jason, how are you, sir? Good. Glad to be here. Excited to talk about some tunes. And last but not least, pouring himself another cup of Lady Grey. Mr. Steve Sumner, all the way from the UK. Steve, what's happening, man? Hey, hey, it's good to be here. <laughs> Nearly 11 o'clock at night, so uh, I want you to wrap this up quickly. Okay, all right. We'll, we'll skip, go skip to the end. Skip to the end. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so just a little rundown on this album. As I mentioned, this was Oasis's last studio album. It was recorded in August of 2007 through March of 2008, released in October of 2008, recorded at the infamous Abbey Road Studios, which Liam Gallagher remarked that there was a magic there when they recorded. And I can see that definitely being fans of the Beatles as they were. Album was produced by Dave Sardi, who also produced their Don't Believe the Truth record. And produced the first Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds record as well, as well as a ton of other stuff he engineered and mixed. And he's pretty well known in the business. Album, not surprisingly, peaked at number one in the UK and in Scotland, number two in Ireland, and only number five in the US, which I think at this point in the US, their popularity was waning a little bit. Their popularity never really waned in the UK. Uh, the album went two times platinum in the UK and gold in the US and Japan. Officially on the album, the band consisted of Liam and Noel Gallagher, Gam Archer, and Andy Bell, but also Zach Starkey was featured on all the drum tracks. I guess he wasn't technically an official member, but, you know, I would have he made was, ring. He was. He yeah. was made an official member for this album. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. I would make uh, Ringo Starr son an official member. That's just me. That's a move <laughs> I would think would be a good move. You know? So this album was number 38 in Spin Magazine's Best Albums of 2008, number 32 in Q Magazine's Best Recordings of 2008, and number 22 in the NME for the Best Albums of 2008. So it did very well. I know one gentleman on this panel that doesn't agree with Spin, Q, or NME, but we'll get to that soon. So what do you say, guys? Let's uh, start talking about this record. We're going to go track by track. First track on this album is a little tune called Bag It Up. Golden, silver, and sunshine is rising up. Pour yourself another cup of lady. 
I am surprised that Bag It Up was not a single of this record because I, I am a tremendous fan of this song. I think, I mean, really, Noel Gallagher knows how to write an anthem, in my opinion. And uh, this this probably, this is a, a big standout track. And being that it's the, also the first track on the record, again, surprised that it wasn't put out a single, but it wasn't. So I don't, David, what do you think of this one? Uh, it's one of my favorite Oasis songs. It's my second favorite song on this album. One of the things I think is interesting about it, it starts much in the same way as like Mucky Fingers and the importance of being idle, Lila, and everybody's on the run. Uh, it has that kind of same driving beat that became kind of a staple of Noel's writing in his later years in his solo material as well. I like how Liam sings in a little bit of a lower register than most of the other songs. He's not as nasally, which I like that. The song, it's pretty straightforward what it's about. It's about somebody needing a fix from whatever drug they choose. Uh, it's got the quote, I'm going to take a walk with the monkey man. And the person is hallucinating. He knows it, but still wants his fix. And the other person, the song is uh, the one who's selling their heebie-jeebies in a little bag. Couldn't think of a better way to start this album off. Now, do you think the reference to monkey man is obviously lifted from the stones, you know, or no? I think it's a reference to monkey on your back being heroin. Yeah. Okay. Now, Mr. Steve Gleason, I'm interested to hear your opinion of this song. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't like this song. Beginning to me sounds like uh, Save a Horse, Ride a Cowboy, uh, suspiciously. It's like exactly the same beat. I hate, like, I love Zach Starkey. I think Zach Starkey's amazing. I saw him with The Who a bunch of times. But I think, like, I don't get what they're doing on this entire record with Zach Starkey. There's zero diversity in the drum beat of this. This is exactly the same beat. Through the chorus, through the bridge, there's no real bridge in the song and never wavers off that beat. I don't necessarily like the descending vocal that's going on with it. Uh, in my opinion, it's kind of a, a shitty melody. It just, uh, he just kind of moves down the scale. But I, I particularly, you know, I guess it's driving, but I feel like the beat never goes anywhere. It's exactly the same beat the entire song which, I mean, you know, you need some tension, relief, some sort of differentiation. I feel like this entire album suffers from that. So that's what I thought of the tune. Anyways. So just, I'm not uh, 100% clear. You're not a fan of the tune? or <laughs> You know, I, I, look, I like Oasis. I do. I have played some of their songs and bands before. I, I, I don't want to come off as like I hate Oasis because I don't. I, I like a bunch of their tunes but i don't like this song not a fan let me swing it on over to mr jason what do you what are your thoughts sir yeah so i'm going to swing the other direction I, I agree with ian and david i think this this tune sets the table for the whole record if there's a defining tune on the on the record kind of lets you know what's about to happen uh so this this whole track there, there's one song that we'll get to that is sort of like the prototype oasis song but a lot of these songs are just a, sort of a departure from what they usually do and this is an example of it i i really like the sort of rhythm of it is like a march having a kid in the marching band i could see like a marching band playing this type of song and and gleason's not wrong like the beat doesn't ever change up it's pretty droney and it kind of stays the same the whole time but it's powerful i think it's what first got my attention of like who is the drummer in this band we had some brief exchange on our text thread about zach starkey because i didn't put two and two together that he had been playing with the who and by the way he's been the who's drummer since like 96 like so for a long time he's been the who's drummer and he was the drummer for oasis on the previous record don't forget the truth 
and this record. But don't forget the truth, Clint. Honestly, like if I were to take Gleason's stance, that would be the record I would take. That record is less than memorable for me. And there's not a lot of songs on that record that stand out to me, even though Zach is on that. Like, I feel like he doesn't do a lot. And I feel like this record is different. Like, I feel like Zach is much more dynamic behind the kit. This song maybe not a good example. The best part of this song is when it actually ends and you get the noise kind of fade out, which I think the whole last minute of this song is completely unnecessary. Once you get to like the deconstructive sort of breakdown and then it goes for another minute of noise, then into the next song when the next song kicks in for me is like that's the best part of the record i like this dude the riff is very very great like it gets stuck in my head the, the whole like the way that it repeats over and over there's something about oasis that that repeating methodology where the drum beats the same and the riff is the same and you have maybe two or three different parts that repeat that you can predict they're coming that's sort of an oasis trope that I tend to like because it, I just can get lost in it. It's not too complicated. It doesn't make me think too hard. This is the, these vocals on here is the first time I can remember a lot of like actually harmonized vocals, which is different than layered vocals. Oasis has always done heavy layered vocals, but some harmonies that are in here that are unique. I just think overall, if you can have a song where you can work in heebie-jeebies into a chorus and it works <laughs> That's a good job by by the songwriter. I would uh, I would definitely agree that I, I feel that most of this album is a sound departure for them. I, I would definitely agree with that, Jason. All right, let's go to our token man from the UK, Mr. Sumner. <laughs> What's your take on this one? I, I think it's a great opener. I, I think uh, it's interesting the comments about the previous album because he Noel was talking about how the previous album was really songy was the word he used. It was very like you know song based, and that this was supposed to be like a sort of psychedelic wig out thing. And and I think this really sets the the tone for this. I love I love the guitar sound on it. I think that's great. It was interesting you were talking about the uh, the vocals, Jason, as well, because I was listening to it on headphones and I realised it's something I don't think Oasis did before or since which is liam singing falsetto an octave above himself which doesn't usually happen because usually you get liam liam harmonizes with liam noel harmonizes with liam noel harmonizes with himself but to get liam singing lower in his register but then falsetto above i don't think i've heard before or since which is i didn't notice it as i say until i heard it on the headphones but that's really interesting i'd love to think that the remedy references is a, is a crow's reference because obviously there's there's a link between the bands and, and there are these little because noel is like he will take anything he's like a total magpie magpie is a nice way of putting it and obviously rip off merchant is a, is a bad way of putting it but but since since the crow's thing it's like on who feels love there was a reference about it was like take a thorn from my pride and and I, and I remember hearing that at the time ago, and they've literally just done a tour with with the Crows, and, and you know, so I'd love to think that the Remedy reference here was a Crows reference, but you never know. Um, the heebie-jeebies is such a great lyric to put into it, and I felt like maybe there was like a a reference back to to gas panic, you know, this whole you know anxiety issue. I, I feel like David may be may be giving him too much credit for the really detailed interpretation of what it's about because i think it's just noel being psychedelic and sticking stuff together um <laughs> i'm being generous here i think it's i think it's sort of noel you know doing his slightly nonsense thing but it's a, it's a great open it really sets the tone for this kind of psychedelic vibe for the rest of the album i love it love it 
before we head over to the next track, uh, Steve, I just wanted to ask how how was this album received in the UK? Oh man, there's a question. Look, I've been watching a lot of Kinks videos on YouTube recently, and I'm just going to go quickly down the alley with that. In that, in that, the way that American people talk about the Kinks is very similar to the way that they talk about Oasis, because. For a British person, the Kinks ended in 1970, right? Because they were so incredibly culturally important. That set of songs they released in the 60s. And then no, nobody in England, apart from like Kinks obsessives, knows that they even carried on after that. And they went on till like 94. So if you watch a, a British person on YouTube talking about the Kinks, they'll be like, sunny afternoon, you know, all these sort of clutters, well, well well-respected man, you know, and they'll talk about all of this, eight man, you know, but they, they don't talk about any, and Americans come on and they'll do the whole, and I'll watch it going, wow, they're doing the whole career as if it's all one thing, which is fascinating. And it's the same with Oasis because that period of time for that first album, second album, and those B-sides was so culturally important in Britain. It was like nothing else. It was a crazy, crazy time. And once Be Here Now burst that bubble, it, it was never the same. It was never the same. Now, Oasis fans carried on being fans, carried on buying the albums and people, they were still popular and they still sold out massive tours, but it was never, ever the, the same after after Be Here Now in terms of sort of cultural impact. So it's very much before and after that album. So it was, it was, it was well received. The critics were kind of middling about it and people enjoyed it and, and then it went away and that was it really. Yeah, it's a shame because it's. I mean, overall, such a great record. It's. It kind of like at the time, I kind of, I kind of bypassed it because I didn't. It didn't just enter my I did. radar. Yeah, I did. I spoke to my brother earlier because I mean, he he was an even bigger Oasis fan than me back in the day. We were at Nebworth. We were all at those big gigs. I mean, he he was he was a hardcore fan. And I said, oh, I'm going to go and chat to some guys about dig out your cell tonight. And he had to get out his phone to look what was on it because he couldn't remember the tracks. And he mm. is hardcore or was hardcore back in the day oasis so i think that's probably as good a, a, a bellwether as anything about how it's remembered in england now which is not a lot so bag it up kind of gives way seeks into the next track which is the turning David, what are your thoughts on the turning? Uh, I think it's a great tune. I like how it starts off kind of like with this oddly timed drum beat with this repeating bass line. Uh, this is something you're going to hear me saying a lot. It sounds like it could be on one of Noel's first two solo albums. There's a lot of religious imagery at play here. The line, when the rapture takes me, and then the line, fallen angel by my side. Kind of the way I look at it, it's about someone who thinks they can change their significant other just by being around them. Then when the uh, rapture takes me as the person saying, as long as you're by my side, you're going to be okay. I think it delivers one of Noel's better guitar solos, especially on this album. And uh, I like the ending. It's kind of a tip of a hat to Dear Prudence. Yes, definitely. Now, Steve, what do you make of this one, Mr. Gleason? Yeah, I, uh, I, I wrote down, pay the Beatles for the end. Um, <laughs> 
So yeah, there's a lot of that going on in this. I like the chorus. You know, the, I like the idea of a descending guitar melody line while while uh, Liam is singing an ascending vocal line. This song has grown on me. Like this, this song's not bad. But like the entire record for me, like Jason, I don't see this as a, as a strength. I see it as a weakness. The rhythm section blows on this record. They play the same thing over and over and over and over again. I don't know how you guys can not recognize that there are no separate parts to these songs. There just aren't. Okay. I wrote down in one of them, this is like one mirror too many, but like a like a D minus version of it. <laughs> because they're all they're all kind of modal in a sense. I I don't want to get all musicy, but anyways, the the point is is like you need you need differentiation from from the rhythm section to give me some tension and some release and like none of these songs really do that they're all like one i for me they're all like one idea and we're gonna ride that idea right into the ground that said you know i i do i do like the chorus a little bit but it's like where's the groove you know and like i like zach starkey i believe i wrote in the text chat is like the best drummer in the world. Did I write that or did I not? <laughs> yeah. One of, you know, I think he's amazing. I think he blows on this record. I, I just, there's no differentiation in groove and it just sits in the same spot for me. And that's kind of a tough thing as far as like groove, soul, you know, rock and roll music. It's, it's, this is like very linear for me. That said, I like the chorus. It's got a good melody. That's how I felt about it. All right, Jason, over to you. Yeah, so very interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna come with exactly the opposite, which is interesting. Now I respect Gleason, like you're a musician and you understand the musicality of it and, and I appreciate that. However, as just a straight listener who doesn't know a damn thing about the musicality of anything, I love that I can fall into a groove of this and it doesn't change. Like I can get in a hypnotic state. And this song is one of the songs that does it to me. When, so when you come out of that like sort of noise coda coming out of bag it up, and then it kicks into this groove, and you get that little, and it's just going with the beat. Like this is the first time I'm like, who is the drummer in this band? The drums seem to stand out to me, and the little bass groove with the the keys and the little like sort of melody behind it. I feel like Oasis is is not a band that's going to necessarily bring you a lot of dynamics in song. They're going to bring you dynamics song to song, but in song, not necessarily a lot of dynamics. And I like that because it puts me in sort of this little groove trance where it doesn't change up a lot. There's a lot of songs. This is one of them, and there's several others, and there's several others on previous records where you might get two three maybe four different like cycling parts that are predictable that just allow me to just lose myself in the groove and to me this is a perfect example of the song when that groove kicks in for the first minute or so and then the verse comes in and and, and this is one of those like if you're a shoegaze fan this would be an example of a song type that you would like because you've you've got the kind of quick moving groove under like very elongated mellow lyrics as he sings it out in in the chorus to me it's it's kind of the the lesser part like i like the verse parts when he's singing on it underneath the groove 
then kicks into the chorus. Although at the 333 mark, uh, this is when you get into like this little groove mix and then the chorus groove comes out and then you get a little coda. Um, you get some backing vocals with the, I guess it's called the Nation in Choir that's behind there. Um, that brings some dynamic and some death to it. So I'm a Christian and I like all of the sort of religious and uh, Christian-esque uh, homages in, in lyrics because I find that very interesting to see what they're singing about. So that brings me into it. And I am not denying, Gleason, that it repeats itself constantly. But there's something about that that I like. Like I actually even like the interlude, that. even the interlude though, Jason. The interlude breaks down, and it's the same thing it's, it's a, for forty is, seconds. It, it breaks into this other thing. It's like we had two ideas. Now let's yep. ride those two ideas right into the fucking and, ground. And, and I'm not. And I'm not even telling you you're wrong. What Fair I'm enough. telling you is I actually like. It. Yeah, man. It's getting tense in here. <laughs> no, 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 I'm just no joking. I'm I just think joking. people should all have their own opinion about how all these things make them feel. Okay. Music is yeah. an emotional thing, and it makes people feel differently about. I'm no ultimate source on what what's good and what's bad. I just, for me, I just would like some movement in groove and tempo, and yeah. you know, fills into different parts of the song, and that doesn't happen on any of the songs on this record. And Zach Starkey is like, Johnny, Phil, that dude's ridiculous. But he doesn't do that here. To Jason's point, the groove coming in, the drum groove in this is excellent. When it starts, I'm like, oh, cool. And then I'm just waiting for something to happen, and it doesn't for me. But that doesn't mean it doesn't for you. And and I I can get lost in that. I can get lost in that. Easy. Mr. Sumner. It's a fascinating discussion. It, 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 it sent me back to there was um there was a chat in one of the, the the Crows chat groups recently where somebody said like what's your favorite chill out music or something and I said kraut rock I'm really into kraut rock nobody said anything and I thought that's really interesting because I went I went through a big a big kraut rock phase uh, recently and the thing with with kraut rock particularly some of the, the big bands like Noi. Is they had this this concept this the thing of the motoric beat which was just and some of those tracks go on for like eleven minutes. My fate my favorite kraut rock track is is a noise track that goes on for about eleven minutes where nothing happens from start to finish, and that that's very much what a lot of the kraut rock stuff was about. And I I didn't make the connection until I opened a music magazine around this time, and. It was an interview with Noel Gallagher, and it was like Noel Gallagher, my twenty favorite Krautrock tracks. And I went, "Oh, that's what's going on here," uh, because I, I, I don't think that, to Steve G's point, I don't think that it was a lack of ideas. I think it was a very, very deliberate move to, 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 to do that. I mean, whether or not you know you like it or it works for you, but I think it was a, a deliberate attempt to. I think the psychedelic thing was played up in the interviews, but I think there's as much of a kraut rock influence, a deliberate kraut rock influence there as anything else. And I love it. I, I'm with Jason. I, I I just get I get lost in that, and I I I think it, I think it really works on these tracks. I think this is a great track. I love the I love the use of piano on it. I think it's a great second track. I think it's a great sort of one. I love I love albums that do that punchy one two opener thing. You know, it's like go one one two punches and then and then you take it down a bit for the third track. I think that works brilliantly here. I love how they run into each other. Um, the Dear Prudence thing is 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 interesting because so it was that it's that gu- guitar figure that um, 
it don't so donovan it was i don't know if we all know that story but it was it was so when they went to see the maharishi in 68 and donovan was playing this thing on his acoustic guitar and lennon was like what, what's that pattern you're doing and that's kind of cool and they taught him the finger picking pattern and he went away and wrote dear prudence with it and that was and then he did i think there's, there's something else he does on like um plastic owner band which is like so obviously the same thing to the point where the track on plastic owner band you just go what was the point of that it just sounds like dear prudence because it's <laughs> such a specific picking pattern so i don't know quite why they did it here i mean it feels like a, a, a an homage thing rather than a you know oh, i've cocked up no one's going to notice this but it's 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 quite a cute little uh, ending to the track but yeah i love this track i think it's brilliant See, I'm glad that you mentioned the piano portion because to me, that's when this really kicks in for me, like my overall enjoyment of this track. But I don't know much about the the Krautrock genre and the style and everything, but to me, and I hate to use this term, but it's the only term I could really think of. To me, it has more of an ambient kind of quality to it mm. uh, the, on this particular track. And a lot of these tracks to me sound like a precursor to Noel Gallagher's High Flying Birds, like the stuff sure. that he's writing on this record sounds like stuff that would eventually lead to that. And I think that's kind of cool because I like the high flying bird stuff. And the you stuff know? that gets left over from this album, there's, there's at least two high, uh, but uh, two tracks that get left off this uh, that turn up on high flying birds records. And you listen to them. And to be honest with you, you know, I would I would swap off a couple of these and put put those on because it just sounds like dig out your soul. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, Noel really dominates this record. He writes the majority of the tracks on it. So, like, that's I think that's why that sound overall takes over. You know the record yeah, as a whole. We'll, we'll be talking more about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's funny about it though is that though he dominates it, he seems to lack what what's most interesting, in my opinion, about his writing is these like incredibly melodic guitar solos. Like this, this record is mm. devoid of guitar solos. Mm. That is there's, true. There's one, and like he's the king of that beautifully you know, high melodic guitar solo. Like, where is that? That's, that's what I feel like this record could really use. Ironically, there is one on, uh, I think it's called, I want to live in a dream in my record machine or something like that, which is one of the ones that got on that, the high flying bird record. And there is one of those big melodic guitar solos on that. So that's, that's a very fair point. I didn't really, uh, you know, notice that until you pointed it out, Steve, there, uh, there are, there is a lack of guitar solos on this and that that is something that yes uh, i could see where you would you would definitely miss that being a fan of any of their earlier work you know but the uh the next track coming up steve the next track is waiting for the rapture break my heart and tell me what you think of this song <laughs> the again blah uh it's a very plodding tune like it's a uh, very dirgy it's uh mid-tempo-y it just doesn't go anywhere for me i think that the there's like a beatles drum beat going on in the snare at the end of the phrases so i can't quite place what song it is but i know it's like i was trying i was trying to think about it before this 
at the end of this too, they should pay them for the the everybody's got something to hide except for me and my monkey guitar part. Like he definitely pulls that. Like I like the initial phrase. I th- and you know, look, Mr. Sumner might be a hundred percent right on this. You know, maybe he's going for this kraut rock thing, whatever that is. Is that German? Uh... Yeah. yeah, it's German. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's derogatory. Um, yeah, it seemed like it. I, you know, yeah. today's day and age, I don't want to be sued. Anyways, uh, feel like here's a song that for me, really, and I could be way wrong. Maybe he's going for for what you're talking about. But here's a song where we had this idea. Here's this this like really cool kind of kind of line here, and then it's like, okay, here's this line seven hundred times. You know, enjoy if you like it that's cool you know i think a lot of people maybe feel this way about acdc i don't know uh in a more upbeat kind of sense you know i this song doesn't really go anywhere for me i'm probably going to be the only one that feels that way steve do you think that maybe some of this beatles stuff trickles in i mean i know they've always you know paid homage to the beatles you know throughout their career but do you think in this particular instance maybe it crept in a little bit more because they're recording at abbey road studios they were doing this well before they were recording at Abbey Road Studios, you know. I think a lot of the, the vocals have that sort of phrasing in it, you know, um, at times. But I'm just, if you're going to have a mid-tempo dirge, I'm cool with it. But I would just, again, like differentiation between, I'd like it to go somewhere. And it feels like a, a, a jam from the dead that's going nowhere for me. Jason, what do you think on, on this one? Uh, so this is a first uh, Noel vocal. All these songs so far have been written by Noel, but it's the first time he takes the vocal. And traditionally on an Oasis album, when Noel takes a vocal, it is sort of dirgy, ballady type of songs. I think Liam on the vocals and this style of song is better than Noel. I appreciate Noel being on a more acoustic sort of ballady type of song. I don't think his vocal works as well on this one. It does get sort of big and and kind of gives me the Oasis feel. Once we get to like the 144 mark, um, it really kicks in. Falsetto voice, which is, I don't know if I've heard from Noel before, more harmonizing. And I like at the 228 mark when it kind of changes and it brings it down. To me, the best part of the song is the last like 15 seconds when you hear sort of like, what it sounded like him it's like a demo like him playing just the chords of the song and i would have liked much more to have a sort of a stripped down version of this song that noel would sing just playing those chords maybe just him with some percussion and maybe a little bit of keys or something like that to, to be honest with you as far as this goes this song sounds way too similar to bag it up to me and i like bag it up way better and I, I just don't think that Noel's the falsetto vocal in this works as well as it, it's, it's intended. Uh, so this is kind of a miss for me as far as this song goes. Mr. Sumner. I, I agreed with most of what Jason said there, to be honest. Um, this would have been a big swap out for me. I don't know if we're having that discussion about what to swap it out with, but the, 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 this, one of the singles that, for whatever reason, didn't get on this album from the sessions was, was Lord Don't Slow Me Down. Yeah. Uh, which for me, this would have been the perfect place for that. You know, it's got stick Noel in there, third track, slow it down a little bit, but it's much stronger track than Waiting for the Rapture. Um, no idea what they were thinking there, really. Yeah, no, I, I agreed with the majority of what Jason said there. Uh, I, another Beatles reference for you was uh, Revolution in the Head, 
which is the the the, the classic sort of Beatles book, which Noel obsesses over. So it's like it's such a random reference, but I love that it's sort of in there as a little uh, Easter egg. I love the idea of "Come Get Me Off the Merry-Go-Round" being a lyric for someone who was about to throw his toys out of the pram and leave Oasis forever because he couldn't take it. That so that line always stands out for me. But yeah, it it, it I think that it should have been a different Noel track uh, in, in in track three, and it should have been "Lord Don't Slow Me Down" for sure. You think like when he the revolution thing like. I thought it was like a cheesy version of gonna have a revolution in my bed from uh you know don't look yeah. back in anger where it's done really well mm. and in here it seems to be like just filled in and thrown in you know as a reference i think a lot of his lyrics are that as i say i i i'm so interested to hear david's sort of it's like i mean i've been a huge Noel fan forever but i've never apart from maybe some of the stuff on definitely maybe where there was like that sort of you know, working class desperation, we're going to make it rock and roll star kind of thing. It, it, even by no, no would be the first to hold his hands up and say, you know, this is just word association nonsense. I just chuck in whatever works over the, over the tunes. So it's fascinating for me to hear David sit and give these really eloquent sort of, uh, this is exactly what I think is happening in these songs. You know, it's like, <laughs> wow. Yeah, because I, I don't, I don't say that to be anti Noel at all. I just, I, I, I think he writes in that way where you sort of sit down and you strum the guitar and you sing whatever words fit the rhythm, and then you know his Beatles references just pop into the head. I, 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 I I'm surprised to hear you guys say about Noel's vocal because that's that's really the thing that attracted me to this song. I really like the use of the falsetto that he has here, and it kind of made it a little more interesting to me because I never heard him do something quite like that in in any other oasis tracks you know, I'm, I'm, there might be something that's slipping my mind but this song is a it was a big contender for uh my favorite track on this album i think it and, was the uh, importance of being idle where he first he, where he first did that fault, high falsetto oh thing. yeah that was he and i remember him talking about it saying uh in interviews at the time around that album saying i'd never really used my falsetto before but he did he hadn't done it a lot uh up to this point for sure yeah i've forgotten about that track but you're absolutely right but i, I just think it's a it, he actually does it well you know mm. where is and this is uh i'm going to take a page out of D- uh, david's book and be uh a hot take here but i don't particularly care for when mick jagger does falsetto stuff and because i don't think it works particularly well <laughs> steve please just looked at me <laughs> <laughs> but uh um, i don't think yeah i don't think you're wrong i i think fool the cry sucks you know? <laughs> no, it's yeah, just it really the way does. you looked up at me <laughs> well i was waiting for it to get worse i was you know as maybe you know off the off the mark as it may sound to some, I, I think that you know the way that Noel does it is a more successful way than necessarily like when I hear Mick or, or or some other rock guys try to achieve the same thing. David, Steve Sumner's waiting for your your opinion on this tune, so let's get to it. <laughs> well, there is no bigger Noel Gallagher fan than me. I absolutely love him. He's one of my favorite songwriters. I love pretty much everything he does. His solo albums took his songwriting to a whole other level. But and I, and I feel like you're talking about like sometimes just throwing the lyrics together. That's true, I think at times, but I think with Don't Believe the Truth, his lyrics started becoming a lot deeper. And I think uh it it moved on un- until this one. It's kind of the same thing I've been saying. It's got a tempo that he would use a lot in his solo work. I don't like the register that he sings in. It's higher than normal. It's a little off-putting for me and, and the song kind of keeps the same tempo until quote unquote the solo it is isn't as much a solo as it is kind of a wall of sound with a few notes by noel to me this song has a lot of the same things as the turning 
I'm kind of indifferent on this one, to be completely honest with you. I could take it or leave it. I don't hate it and I don't love it. What do you think, Steve Sumner? Well, he's not given me a, a like a really specific narrative as to what's happening. So I'm, I'm that's what I was waiting for. I feel let down by the whole affair. To be <laughs> oh, they're they're coming. They're coming. Oh, okay. <laughs> now the next track is actually the first single off the album. It kind of preceded the album by a week or two, and that's the shock of the lightning. This to me, like bag it up to me is a like a kind of call to arm song. And but the shock of the lightning to me is the first kind of anthemic song that I, that I find on the album sure. so far. So uh, let's start with Jason. What do you think on this one? Yeah. And so I totally agree. I mean, if you want to know what Oasis sounds like, this is a song that you would play. The problem with it is it's the same song as Hindu Times. It's Columbia. It's it's that same sort of two or three parts that repeat and they hit you relentlessly it's the it's a groove that you get into and i absolutely love it and each of those songs when you talk about them have their own unique personality to them but they're basically the same song and there wouldn't be an oasis record that is proper if they didn't have one this element of noise and repeated structures of guitar work under rib groove that repeats over and over you know for me when i'm washing dishes and i'm doing my air guitar stuff and i just want something that i'm going to rock out to like i love this mr sumner would you agree oh totally yeah i agree with every word of that you know that we've we've, we've touched on the fact there have been some bad single release decisions on this this record and and also some some maybe track listing decisions but this is not one of them you know this is it's like it manages to sound like this kind of new psychedelic thing that they're playing with and classic oasis at the same time which is a very clever trick to pull off you know it 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 feels like a classic first single from an album like yeah okay this is you know this is what to expect. Bring it on in the same way that Bag It Up was like the perfect opener. This is the perfect sort of opening single. Yeah, it's, it's great. I think I think my head's in the clouds, but at least I'm trying is a, is a great line. What a great line. Mm. And obviously you've got a magical mystery reference in there. So I mean, I mean the, the, the Beatles references just keep on coming. <laughs> uh, they, they, they won't quit. Which is which is totally to be expected, and as Steve G said, I mean it's it, that's that's not new. I mean that's been happening. You know, Fool on the Hill was referenced back on Be Here Now, and you know, I mean, it's been going on forever. Let it be. All of these things get dropped into other songs, but yeah, I, I do like it. It's a funny straight game. Uh, it's a great track. I love it. I agree with everything Jason said. I uh, I think this song is great. It's very Oasis. I I, I agree with uh, what Steve said just prior that it's different enough 
to be interesting, but it does still does retain that Oasis sound. I'm I'm of two minds of how it is as the first single because on the one hand, your first single is very much, uh, you know, your shop window, you know, your wares, letting people know what kind of the record's going to be about. But also, I think like I'm kind of used to like the Black Crows approach sometime where they put out a really out of left field first single, and you know, I think that's that's a, a bold move as well. So you know, I maybe like if you know, to be where there's life, which comes up later in the track listing, like that would be an odd first single to me. But, you know, I don't know which, which way is better, but uh, I mean, you can't go wrong with, with putting this as a first single in terms of giving people that Oasis sound. I don't know. David, what do you think? I'm about to get thrown off my own podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I believe this song is there. Stop kicking my heart around. It's a, it's a demo. Noel, Noel said, this is essentially the demo. Uh, I'll get into my lyrics real quick. Uh, to me, the song is about someone's falling in love so deeply that he almost can't keep up with reality. The shock of the lightning is the actual falling in love. Uh, I do not like this song, and I'll tell you why. I think with Don't Believe the Truth, they took a huge leap forward in their writing. And to me, Don't Believe the Truth is kind of their third, their, their three snakes, and there's different song structures. And I think, obviously, Heathen Chemistry didn't do well. Standing on the Shoulder of Giants just bombed, which I actually think there's some good songs on there. Don't Believe the the Truth. It did better than the previous ones, but I think critically people liked it more. And I think this is them just trying to like grasp on to something that was in the past. And Columbia is my favorite Oasis song of all time. And this, Mr. Donchus, is not Columbia. I'm going to uh, I'm going to stun David and perhaps other folks in the in the room here. Uh, probably Standing on the Shoulder of Giants is probably my favorite Oasis record. So. I have to weigh. Well, I have to come on. I, I have to weigh in. Then I think. I think standing on the shoulder of giants is an absolute stinker. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, if you it, there's easier ways to tell me you don't want to be friends, Steve. Sonner, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's, there's there's a couple of tracks on it that are like in my. I mean, I think "Go Let It Out" is in my top five Oasis tracks. Don't get me wrong, but um, and I love "Who Feels Love" and "Gas Panic." I love, but that's not a whole album. Um, You're right. I think, uh, and you know something, I maybe I, I misspoke slightly. Standing on the Shoulder of Giants was my favorite Oasis record until I really dug deep into this one. I honestly think that this is my overall top Oasis record. I know I'm alone in that opinion. So well, we we, we can be friends, but you can't be British. <laughs> my father is British. Okay, but Mr. Gleason, I keep waiting to f- see if this is going to be the one song that you like on the album. So is this the one? This is the one. Oh, I nice. actually, uh, this is the one. I do think that this, uh, I can 100% see why they chose this tune for a single. It's the only one that's got a driving beat that doesn't feel like um, a dirge. So uh, I do dig this tune. I think there's a really great melody in the, in the, in the chorus. I know this got mentioned, but can't we get another phrase besides magical mystery? Like, really? <laughs> you know, I'll give you that one. Feels, uh, this feels very Foo Fighters inspired to me. That's what it kind of reminds me of. To Jason's point at, what did you say, 254, whenever that breakdown starts and it kind of has that little uh, keyboardy thing, this is where Zach Starkey shows up. The drums yep. going into the solo are fucking dynamite. Dynamite. Yep. My problem is, yep. is it's like, this could be better. Like, who's the producer? Like, David, you're right. This is a demo. All these songs are demos. Like, who's the producer that doesn't say, okay, Noel, give me a big, huge, fat guitar solo right after those drums, because that's what this song really should have here. 
is this giant guitar solo that comes out and comes back into that driving beat. Although I do, uh, again, I love the drums at the ending. I think I think Zach's great on this tune. This is by far my favorite tune on this record, by far. I'm sorry that David doesn't like it. We're, we're going to be friends regardless. <laughs> Steve, let me interrupt you for one second, though. Sure. Don't you think that sometimes demo versions in certain instances capture a magic that maybe when you try to go back and layer it and record you know track by track and i think it loses something like sometimes maybe it's worth using the demo version i'm not saying it 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 doesn't what i'm saying here is is that i don't think it's finished like look johnny cole told me exit wasn't finished Mm. it just doesn't feel like a finished tune and i get where he's coming from with that you know he's like a lot of these songs this isn't finished or this isn't finished this feels like he didn't, Noel didn't have a guitar solo ready for this. And it's right. like, you know, give me a real ripping guitar solo on this tune. Cause that's, that's what would put it really over the top for me. Cause Jason's right. Here's a tune where you have this big beat. The chorus is really good. They break into this, this interlude. Zach comes killing with this huge drum fill. And like, I want, like, I want a big, huge guitar solo. And then back in, I don't get it. I, I'm going to say something slightly controversial then in that case. I, I think, I think they had to do something different. And I respect the fact that they were trying to do something different. And I I know that their career ended after this, but it ended after this because of an argument. I think that after, particularly after Don't Believe the Truth, if they'd done another really song structure based, here's the big anthem, here's the guitar solo type album, I think that that album would have been the end of their career anyway. I think that had they carried on, they needed to do something with a different flavor i mean you know it's of course it's fun to like it or not like it but i i think i think they were trying to do something with a different flavor and part of that was hey let's not do guitar solos let's do this sort of psychedelic mid-tempo mash thing um I agree and i'm, with I'm you really glad totally. they did that yeah yeah no i agree with you totally that's the whole vibe of this record there's one guitar solo on the entire record i wrote that down there's one it's uh <laughs> it's uh the nature of reality it's the only guitar solo on the entire record and it's a Mm. shitty guitar solo but i definitely agree with you steve that this was a a choice of like all right we want this you know it's like dance the night away you know there's no guitar solo in that it's like whoa whoa, whoa, van halen record with no guitar solo what's going on you know it's just this tune feels like let's just give me what i'm looking for here yeah it needed one yeah yeah just in my opinion i could be way off but i i did like this song out of all of them and zach starkey's just outstanding on it it's just yeah. you, why bring in Zach Starkey if you're going to play the same drum beat the whole time? Okay, I think I've come up with a drinking game for this show. Uh, every time somebody mentions Zach Starkey, you have to take a shot, and I think uh, <laughs> you'll be passed out by the time we get to falling down, which is appropriate. So the next track on this is uh, another single from the album, and that's the Liam Gallagher written "I'm Out of Time." Steve Sumner, what do you think of this one? Things are going to change from here on in for me because I think this is very, very much an album of two halves. I think that the first half is very, very strong. And then I think 
things get much more mixed from this point onwards. And again, going back to what I was saying about those periods of Oasis, the other the other big time period distinction is when you hit standing on the shoulder of giants. And for the first time, Noel's pen starts to run fractionally dry for the first time. And, and he sort of goes, I haven't got enough songs to do an album. Let's Liam, you've got to write a song. And Liam writes Little James, which is just the worst thing <laughs> you could possibly put on a record. And he, he would admit to that now. And, you know, all of us thought, dear God, he's never going to be a songwriter. This is shocking. And then and then he pulls Songbird out of the bag a couple of albums later, which is, you know, uh, and you think, wow, he's onto something because Songbird was a, you know, a minor Oasis classic. And I just don't think he got beyond Songbird. I don't think he ever managed to hit that height again. And I, I have real issues with this song. I want, I want to like it. I really do. But I, I think that's... I think that when we get to the the Gem track and the Andy track, I think that they learned how to write for Oasis, and they and they've realised how to write for Oasis in the context of this album. And they're sort of you know they're being good team players and everything else. Whereas Liam's going, I just want to write like John Lennon's solo stuff. I'm not even going to write like the Beatles. I'm going to write like it's John Lennon's solo albums and it, it it doesn't work for me and it goes goes downhill from here as well i don't like the la 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 stuff at the beginning uh, the lennon recording that he went through endless legal shenanigans to get of john lennon speaking on it i can't even hear what john lennon's saying that was a complete waste of everybody's time i don't like the structure he does one verse and you think oh this is melodically quite interesting where's this going and then he sort of does the chorus three times and then just sings the I'm out of time a hundred times at the end, which is a very strange structure. When I wanted a I wanted a second verse, there was never a second verse. It, it's not awful. It's his best contribution on this album. It could have been great, but I just I just don't think I you know I was so excited after Songbird. I thought, you know, all right, forget little James. We'll pretend that never happened. Look at Songbird. This is great. He's found his feet as a writer and it just and when they get to BDI after this, BDI had the sense to credit everybody on the writing, which meant that he could contribute bits and then the others could kind of finesse them and do things to them and they could share the songwriting credit. But I think Liam writing on his own, it never got there for me. It never got there for me. And it doesn't here. I, I would almost 100% agree with everything you, you said about this track. That's exactly how I feel about it. The only difference being that I, I think that uh, a song that comes later is actually Liam's strongest contribution to this album. Mm. But otherwise, you and I are are, are exactly on the uh, same page. Now, let's see if what page David is on. I think this song is the great what if on the album. Mm. What if the lyrics were better? Obviously, it was written by Liam. It's quite possibly their biggest Beatles ripoff. I, I, I'm not familiar with Lennon Solo stuff. So if you said it sounds like Lennon Solo stuff, I'll go with that. Um, I think the song has so much potential. The melody and the sonic tone of this to me are just really infectious. The verses aren't up to par. The you got to keep on keeping on is such a horrible lyric. I cannot stand any song when they get to like, they don't have anything to put. They're like, you got to keep fighting or you got to keep your chin up or got to keep holding on. You know, uh, it's just to me, that's just intellectually, you're just out of material. But the pre-course and the chorus to me are brilliant. The song is about someone who doesn't really know how someone feels about them. And this person has decided it's time to move on. And he doesn't know if his lover will be uh, happy or not that he's uh, gone on without him. But uh, I have here, it concludes with that clip of John Lennon. I think you rework those verses and get some better lyrics and you've got a, you've got a banger on your hands. 
I like how you lose the term lover. That's very, uh, you know, old school. (laughs) All right, Mr. Gleason, we're over to you. Okay. I really would like to um, scaffold off what uh, Steve said. I didn't know any of that John Lennon stuff. So, I mean, this is a jealous guy ripoff. You, you can totally hear this, right? The piano in the back. Dun, 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 it's like, this is jealous guy. Yeah. This is, it's bad. It's not, it's not a little bad. It's bad. This is a jealous guy ripoff. <laughs> really, 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 really bad. Bad, 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 bad. This is like when you listen to Cypress Tree and you're like, oh, hey. all he did was recycle No Speak, No Slave. You know, uh, this is, but here, the piano, it's the same. It's, it's really, this is bad. You know, I, I did stop pulling your punches, man. (laughs) Well, I, but you, but this is exactly what you said. I'm just saying it in kind of a shitty way, Uh, but I'm saying it in kind of a shitty way, but I'm also being more specific about what they're doing Mm -hmm. terribly is ripping off jealous guy. The, the vocal phrasing is exactly the same at the end of, of e- each one of his phrases. He goes up that little octave thing the same way Lennon does in the mm. same tonal range. Mm. And the piano is like, I can hear it. Oh, my God, is it sampled? I, it feels like it's sampled. You know, the, the uninspired adult contemporary guitar solo is so bad, I can't even consider it a, a guitar solo. <laughs> And, you know, I read uh, a couple of interviews. I just went to Wikipedia. I read a couple of reviews of it. And it was like, you know, Liam was talking about uh, rockers. You know, this is going to be rocking. Like, this is not rocking. Okay. At all. Where are the rockers? There aren't. Oh, this tune sucks. Listen, I'm I'm just telling you right now, visually, Jason looks like he's going to burst. So let's get over to him (laughs) and see what you think about this one, Jason. Oh, oh, you like this one? Let me be clear. I I am glad that everybody said all of that, and I get to go last, and I don't have to shit on this tune because everybody else did. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Like, I think all the Liam tracks on this record suck. (laughs) And this one is the first of, of, I think, three of them. The one thing about this track that I do appreciate is that's where you belong sort of hook. Which which is pretty good. Like that that's a little bit of an earworm. It gets stuck in your head. I, I kinda I could get behind that. This was the second single. I don't I don't know why. This is just not interesting at all. They let Gem and they let Andy write songs, which spoiler alert, I think are two of the best songs on the record. And I think these three Liam songs that we get on this record are the three worst. I couldn't agree I, more. Well, I think that was a uh, unanimous uh, dislike of that particular tune. But uh, moving on to the next tune is actually one I happen to like uh, very, very much. And it's Get Off Your High Horse Lady.
I think this tune is like Oasis doing the blues in a way. Like the 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 lyrical structure of it is almost like a blues tune to me. And and I really I really like the way Noel delivers his vocals on this. I like the guitar. I think it's just, I think this is a very strong track and if you're dealing with vinyl to me this would be the the lead off song of the second side it would seem like to me. So it's kind of like another burst of of energy in the middle of the record that would equate to being the start of side 2. But uh, David, what do you think of this song? It's one of my favorite songs on the album. Uh, once again, it's Noel with a song that kind of has a straight up beat that doesn't change. But uh, I love how whatever effect he's singing through, uh, make him seem like he's off in the distance a little bit. And, and the, the beat to me, I'm not musical, but the beat to me sounds a little odd and it really never strays from that. Uh, the lyrics are about someone that's on a moral high ground that thinks they can help someone below them, but the person below them doesn't want any help. And there are very, very few lyrics to the song. Uh, I think the song is much more about creating a vibe. And I'll absolutely love, and I'm going to spare you guys this, I'm not going to sing it, but the way the melody changes and Noel sings, Rain Down, Rain Down, is so cool. It's one of my favorite musical highlights of this album. Uh, and then the song ventures into a cool interlude that uh, with Noel singing in the background, just over like a really beautiful melody. David, you sure you don't want to sing it? No. <laughs> Steve Gleason, what do you think of this one? Yeah, I'm not sure I like the vocal effect. I, I I don't know if I like it or not. I wrote down I wasn't sure. Like, there's just so many mid-tempo dirges on this record. There's just so many, and I'm not sure if it like kicks in or it's just like the instruments are just louder. But as David said, it just sits on the same progression the whole song, never gets off it. So. For me, I'm I'm just, uh, it's like the worst critique of anybody's music. I'm just bored in the middle of this tune because it's it starts in one one volume place and like, then it's the same progression with the, they just turn up a little bit. I don't know. That's what I get out of it. I'm sorry. I wanted to like this record. I did. <laughs> I did. I, I really, I went in like, oh, cool. Oasis. <laughs> just for for anybody anybody listening at home actually he doesn't hate the record what happened was that someone was nominated to dislike it beforehand it's just random <laughs> Ne- yes. Next month, uh, next next episode, it'll be. I'll be. I'll be yeah, hating everything. Yeah. You'll be nominated yeah. to take a shit on the record. I like. <laughs> Don't pull back the curtain like that. You know. Oh, right. Sorry, I've ruined it for everyone. Just edit that out. It's fine. Right. Jason, what do you think of this one, man? This is a highlight for me. Bag it up and waiting for the rapture are marches. This to me is a stomp. This is what I would picture like sitting around a campfire and having you know people literally stomping on the ground and clapping as the track opens up there's a little acoustic lick that comes in every once in a while that that is very tasty i I really like that and then even so on the percussion when you're the different vocals are coming through and then there's there's a pause and then there's like a hit on like a block like every time that is just like so satisfying like it's exactly what i want right there is that hit on the block and i don't know if that's zach or or what but i love all the guitar layers like in headphones there's a lot of different guitar parts a lot of different guitar licks you get a lot of background vocals in this a lot of oohs and ahs and a lot of you know layering of that background piece while the vocal is happening so i really like this tune yeah i'm a fan of it mr sumner I don't, I don't. I don't have a huge amount to say about it. I, I. I. I like it. I don't love it. I mean, everybody's said everything there is to say about it. I love when. I love when the drums come in. Um, that's that. I did again. Another thing that needed happening. Happening on headphones. I hadn't appreciated that at all until I put it on the headphones, and it was like well, that's such a a great moment. It's fine. 
uh one of the things i do on on our podcast that is not appreciated by anyone is is my little english teacher bit which is uh, i'm going to have to do here because uh the lack of comma is very upsetting because it should <laughs> it should be get off your high horse comma lady but it but instead but without a comma he's asking you to get off something called a high horse lady which which doesn't exist what is oh. that what's what's a high horse lady i want i wanted david's interpretation of this but uh, he didn't go there lyrically. So what can you do? Where's your grammar police badge? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's all I've got to offer on this one. Now, the next track is another Noel track, and that's Falling Down. David, very interested to hear your opinion on this song. I think this song sounds a lot like a song that would be on Noel's second album, which I think is his best one. I really like this one, and I love the tone of his voice that he sings. It's kind of a little more monotone, just so to speak. I just I love that real fin and the drumming in the beginning. I think they're really, really cool. Minimum instrumentation uh, during the first verse, but the choruses pick up. Um, th- I think this one was possibly a single uh if i'm not mistaken or i could be wrong on that but uh this is one of the better tracks on the album it was a single yeah yes now steve what's your take on this one steve gleason yeah i like the drum beat in the beginning i wrote down i hope this goes somewhere (laughs) i really i really don't understand the falsetto choice at the beginning like in the verses it's like the same vocal melody is like like i've heard that that sound recognizable to you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know. It sounds like, like an Oasis that. song. <laughs> well, it just sounds like a band out of ideas on this tune, yeah. you know? And then at the end, there's like, oh, a different beat. And then it just it's, it doesn't go anywhere. I, I hate to like beat the same drum, but it, it really feels like they had a couple of ideas. They went into the studio, recorded a bunch of stuff, and like they sat on one idea. So if, this, if that's a kraut rock thing, whatever, I hate saying that. Uh, (laughs) I do. If that's like the template that that provides, okay, if that's what they're going for. I just feel like it just doesn't go anywhere. Jason? Yeah, man, I agree. Uh, This is not a highlight of the record for me. It was the third single. I don't know why they released it as a single. There's nothing memorable about the song. Zach's drumming is good. Like the performance of the drumming is good. The sound of the drums sucks if that makes sense. You got a lot of Mellotron, you got a lot of sort of electronic keys in there. As far as Noel vocal songs, he's sung some of the classic Oasis songs of all time. And this song being the third single of this record is just, it's just not one of them. This is a, this is not a memorable song in any way. And to be honest with you, when I was going through the record, preparing for this, this recording, like I, I totally forgot this was even on the record. Like there was nothing about this that reminded me of anything. So yeah, for me, this is, this is a pass. This is skip. Steve, Mr. Sumner. 
I have no idea why this was a single. I mean, that was a bad decision. But I think the even worse decision was putting it after uh, another mid-tempo Noel sung track. I mean, what a shocking piece of sequencing that is. Why nobody pulled them up on that? I can't. I'm, I'm trying. I'm, tr- I'm trying to think whether there's another Oasis album where there are two Noel songs. You know, it's like it's obvious. You know, Liam is a particular color, and Noel's vocal is a is a particular color. Don't don't. You know, you never put Noel next to Noel. But there we go. It's it's fine. Again, it's it's just kind of there. I also forgot that it was on here. I think at least get off your high horse, lady. Is it's got something unique about it. Doesn't quite sound like anything else they've done. It's it's got an interesting vibe to it, but falling down doesn't it does sound like it sounds like the stuff the high flying birds went on to do that i didn't like i'm not a big fan of high flying birds until he gets to the most recent album uh with holy mountain and i can't think of the, the name of it but um but who built the moon that one i think you know I, I think he's going in an interesting direction now but um this for me sounds like some of that early sort of slightly more song-based no high flying birds stuff that doesn't really go anywhere interestingly though i think there's a stones reference rather than a beatles reference in here which is the the one about but about the butterfly on the wheel breaking the butterfly on the wheel the wheel catch the wheel that breaks the butterfly i think it is because it's actually there's a there's a an alexander pope poem called who, who breaks a butterfly on a wheel noel will have been familiar with the poem because when the stones got busted for drugs in i think it was 67 there was a very very famous article in a in a british newspaper called who breaks a butterfly on a wheel about about how the police were mishandling drug abuse amongst rock stars and sort of overplaying their power and overplaying their hand and it's it's sort of it's passed into sort of law as in lore law you know it's passed into sort of rock law that article so so no would have been aware of that so i'm guessing the reference either subliminally came from that or he's deliberately sort of adding a stones easter egg on this one which is quite fun but the the track is boring (laughs) well i mean that's that's been a background is actually very interesting i didn't know that and uh but I, and I hate to be the one to, uh, you know, uh, pile on to uh, my good buddy David here, but I'm I'm not too much of a fan of this tune myself. It's not that I dislike it. It's just it, I'm more of I'm more with you, Steve, that it's it's an odd placement in the in the running order here. And, uh, you know, maybe somewhere else on the album, I'd, I'd appreciate it a little differently in, in the context of the entire listening experience if you will i appreciate but, the alexander pope reference that's that's be- look at this huh <laughs> this look is a this. this is an educated bunch you know i know i feel like i'm back in undergrad <laughs> <laughs> the next tune up is actually one written by gam archer and that's called to be where there's life Steve Gleason, you're the first one up on this it's, one. Is this the bass player? No, no. he's the no. rhythm guitar player. He's 
Oh, okay. I'm actually, I was most interested to hear your opinion on this one because it's very okay. bass heavy. Yeah, like I look the cool the baseline and the drums to start are cool. And uh, I look, I don't know what to say. I don't the bass player is like completely nondescript throughout this entire record. Anybody could have been on this. Um, but I think this is a pretty cool little bass line here. It's got this total Indian feel going on. It's a very three snakes and one charmy kind of kind of feel to it, you know. And then, of course, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm waiting for it to go somewhere. And they sit on the same thing the entire song. And I'm like, oh, my God, is this, you know, am I way off on this? I don't know. <laughs> no. <laughs> I swear I want to like this record. I did. When Dave <laughs> said, this is one of my favorite records. I'm like, awesome. I need a new record to really love. And, you know, this ain't it. One guy's opinion. Jason, how about you? So This is my favorite track on the record. And what's interesting is because it's not written by either of the Gallagher brothers. It's written by Gem. And even though he's the rhythm guitarist, it's like devoid of guitar. <laughs> it's like a bass and drum groove the whole time. And I love it, man. I just get into it. I love how it just decays and then it responds and it decays and responds. There's lots of harmony in it. it. It's got all of the Oasis tropes, right? Like it's these three or four repeating parts that happen over and over and over again. But they sound way different because of the Middle Eastern field, because it's very bass groove heavy, not guitar groove heavy which makes me love it. it. It just, it gets me in a place where like I'm bobbing my head the whole time for like four or five minutes. I don't know how long the song is. Four or five minutes. I just, you know, I, I get into the groove of it and I don't mind that it doesn't go anywhere. I like that it's exactly the same and it repeats over and over. There's a part of that that's intriguing to me, especially when I just want to like disconnect. I don't want anything complicated. I don't want anything that I got to think about, that I got to make it too intellectual. I just wanted to groove, and this song does it. This is my favorite song on the record. That's not really it. my critique, though, Jason. My critique here is, like, it doesn't have to be, you know, it's not, I'm not trying to get at the idea that it needs to be Steely Dan. I'm not trying right. to get at that right. idea. Right. Right. All I'm trying to get at is it never moves, ever. And I think the groove is cool. Through the first minute, I was like, yeah, yeah cool. Now, what are we going to do? It's is so it going to be... Just shift yeah. into something a little different. It doesn't. It doesn't have to suddenly break into you know Ingve Malmsteen. I don't. I don't mean it like that. I just mean like give me something so, different. Yeah. No. And I, I listen. I totally agree with you. However, like this might this might be a difference in like listening styles of the day. Like for me, when I listen to music, like I'm coming off a long week at work. Maybe it's a Friday night. I want to sit out by my fire and I just want to put on tunes and groove. And I don't want it to be too complicated. I just want it to move me. And this this record is simple enough that I can just put it on and it just moves me. I can bob my head to it and I don't have to think about it too much. And and that's, that works for me, if that makes sense. You know what I'm saying? I get it. It's just, but if you were listening to my morning song and you never got yeah. March Me Down to the Seven Seas, would you be like, uh... Okay, I guess we're just going to do this. You know, that's what I kind of feel that's, like. That's like, maybe, that's maybe I'm not that. looking for like again. I'm not looking for like time signature change, like a rush tune. I don't mean if I'm coming off like that. That's not what I mean. What I mean is it's one part. You know, 
And I think the beginning yeah. is like very cool, like really super cool and really interesting. I just, it never stops. That's my problem. Like some people read The Stand by Stephen King and they like 200 pages of description about going through the Lincoln Tunnel. And some people are like, you know, <laughs> you might have needed an editor here, you know. Mr. Sumner, what do you think of this tune? I, I'm just loving the idea of, I think we got Rush in there, Steely Dan in there, and Yngwie Malmsteen in there. I, I want to hear an Oasis album where they cover those three people. That would that would be a hell of a, a record. Just um, wait. I, Steve will eventually mention Dio. So don't. Oh, okay, good. I love Dio. It's all good. I love this. I love this song. Oh, man, I love this song. I've just started playing bass, actually, after, you know, for whatever reason, I've just taken to the bass and I've just been sitting playing bass to this track all week. It's like, oh, this is a what a bass line. What a bass line. It just, I could listen to it all day. And again, we talked about it earlier a little bit, but I think it was it was Gem Archer reading the room and going, okay, it's a psychedelic record. That's what I'm going to do. And Liam not reading the room and trying to do his Lennon thing. It's great. I love when the harmonies come in at the end. And again, you see, I, that that for me is where the dynamic comes from. It's like, okay, I'm going to keep this level the same all the way through, but we're going to add layers towards the end. And that that's where I get the dynamic from, I think. But I love the the idea that Gem basically said, I, I want to do it with no guitars at all. So they went out down the high street to Camden and, and bought a, a toy sitar, not a real sitar, a toy sitar. And and just pressed a button on it like a, like a, like a, literally a kid's toy plastic one. And, and if you press a button on it, it goes. And they just recorded that in front of the microphone for like an hour, and 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 that's mostly what you hear on the record because he said there's no guitars. It's just this 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 crappy little toy. A plastic kids toy um apparently i think i think andy bell then did get a real sitar and play some but it's really low in the mix the thing that you can mostly hear is this toy which is brilliant because it sounds it sounds absolutely bang on i said oh, i just love it it's probably my second or first favorite thing on on the whole album but again that raises interesting questions about you know that whole thing again we talked about earlier which is when noel's pen started to run out and little james happened and and noel said at the time even though little james was an absolute stinker of a song it kind of saved the band because had someone not started to step up and writing other, other songs he he wouldn't have had enough material to keep oasis going and and of course it, there was no way that bonehead or Gwigsy were going to write songs and and they lost those two guys and then they got gemin who'd had his own band with heavy stereo so had a track record of writing and Andy Bell from uh, from Ride, wasn't it? Which is sort of which is interesting because there's a shoegaze. There's a really big. Jason's been talking about shoegaze, but Ride had a really big sort of shoegaze element in their music, and and so suddenly they had two other writers. And I, and I think again had I think Liam sort of saved them a little bit by beginning to write. But had they not brought in two other writers, things would have got really challenging because he he was running out. I think he found his feet again with High Flying Birds writing wise, but I think he was running out of oasis material you know quote unquote and and needed people to step in and i i i, I love this track and also i think gem did uh I, I know i was shitting all over standing on the shoulder of giants earlier but um uh one of my favorite tracks on that was the gem tune which was hung in a bad place which i mm. absolutely love mm. You know, and so again, so what I said about standing on the shoulder of giants, it's half a great album and half an absolute stinker. But um, I, I'm revising my opinion on that. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think Gem pulled a blinder here. This is this is the first or second best thing on the whole album for me. I love it. Listen, don't back off your opinion. Okay, you said what you said, 
and now it's out there. (laughs) It's out there for all to see. No one's going to come for me. I I totally agree with you, Steve. I I, I really, really like this tune. I understand where Steve Gleason is coming from in that it is very one dimensional. That's what I'm trying. I'm not even trying to say one dimensional. Just it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't vary throughout the one dimensional. but, But to me. This album, and the reason why that's okay with me, and and it kind of it kind of works for me, is because I feel that this album is more of a vibe album than you know uh, necessarily an overall just individual songs album. And to me, it works start to finish as a vibe, and that's that's why I kind of gravitate to this record. I like things that are more of a a vibe sometimes, and 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 that's why it works for me. But I can totally understand everything that you're saying and there's no disagreement you're you're spot on and in either i think it either works for you or it doesn't you know what i mean david does this one work for you everybody get your oven mitts out because hot takes hudson is about to burn through it oh shit this is a top 10 oasis song for me it's my mm. favorite song on the nice. album the yeah. repetitive beat is what i love about it is just, it's hypnotizing i cannot think mm-hmm. of another oasis song where the bass and the drums and that Far Eastern drone, they're the stars of this thing. And the fact that the rhythm guitar player wrote this with such a cool bass part, I think is really awesome. I, I never get tired of hearing the song. I kind of have almost like a psychedelic mix on Spotify. And this is always, always on it because I think it's the most psychedelic song that they, they've ever written. As far as the lyrics go, I think it's just about a person who their life is stalled out and uh, they need somebody to take them to a new life, whether that be a new friend or, you know, significant other. And and they want to take you to where your life can can be better and more fulfilling for you. But like we said, very little guitar. There's actually some live versions of this. And I kind of wondered how hard they would have pulling this off live. They actually do a pretty good job of it. Do Um, they use the um, toy toy sitter? I cannot remember that. I just remember the the drums and the bass were so loud. And you're talking about all the different things that Gleason talked about, like Steely Dan or whatever. If you take away the bass and take away all the music and just have the drums, to me, it sounds like it has a little bit of a hint of some of that uh, Talking Heads world beat music that that he would incorporate with with the drumming, um, like the, that out the Black Album. I forget what it's called, and like the couple that come after that. But yeah, I, it, this is by far my favorite song on the album. It's probably a top 10 Oasis song for me. I never get tired of listening to it. I think all the stuff that Gleason hates about it, I actually like. Like I, It's just hypnotizing to me. And before you know it, you're just like, you're completely out of reality and you're sucked in with that groove. And so I absolutely love it. Music is uh, emotional and however it hits you, it hits you. There's no right or wrong answer. I mean, yeah, I'm right because it doesn't, go anywhere but if it goes somewhere for you emotionally then it does go somewhere Mm -hmm. just structurally it doesn't go anywhere some of the some of the grooves are pretty cool i just you know personally let me ask you what do you what do you think about that baseline yeah it's good but it just sits Mm -hmm. in one spot the whole time it's kind of like you know if you if you had um sunshine of your love and it never got off and just played that for four minutes you'd get sick of it let me ask you this a song like rich robinson's black cloud and uh, not black cloud well it was black cloud originally but then it became places talking about yeah that's entirely the same riff throughout now does that yeah. does something like that do you feel the same way about yeah does it, it makes just... me want to light it makes me want to light myself on fire <laughs> that, that tune. 
I, I don't like that tune at all. It okay, really I'm just I'm wondering if that's like a universal well, opinion for you. It's absolutely. This has nothing to do with it being away. I like again. I like Oasis. I know that's not that's not coming through right now. I actually really like Oasis, and have played a bunch of their songs live in different bands. I I actually think they can be really good songwriters. I just don't. I don't. I get what they're going for here. I just it kind of you know. This for me, that's the way it hits me. Again, that so, doesn't necessarily mean it's right. Does the repetitive thing is it is it genre specific though? Does the rep, does repetition sort of not is is it not your thing in all contexts? Or you know, if you were listening to krautrock or like dance music or something, would you go, okay, I expect repetition here, so that's fine? Is it is it that it's no, happening in a rock no. context? Look, I have high school students and they love uh, Biggie Smalls, for example. Mm. And and they're like, this is so hot. This and I'm like, this sucks. And they're like, why? I don't get it. And I'm like, okay, it's the same thing. Oh, like that hypnotized tune, cool, cool groove, right? It's one note that never stops the entire song. Like, okay. And they're like, I don't understand how they're not bored by it. A lot of these tunes are like two chords that don't really go anywhere. And again. Maybe it's just me. That's fine. You know, I think part of that is there's a disconnect factor to put on the headphones and listen to a band and have a singular groove that I can just get lost in. It's mm. kind of therapeutic. I could see that. I could definitely see that. Depending yeah, on but the it's mood, a difference yeah. between like if I put on like the Wish You Were Here record, which is slow and groovy and as relaxing as relaxing can be there it it's it's always moving somewhere you know and it's long it's long you know i had this uh my mother got me a used car once and uh when i was younger and there was the the radio was broken and at the time there were the yeah it had a tape deck and there was one tape stuck in it it was wish you were here which i proceeded to listen to twenty five thousand times in this car because <laughs> there was no other option it never got boring because it's always this, this, the melody is always moving in that, you know, that's kind of what I'm getting at. And the, the, the tempo of that is very slow. It's just, it, it, it's got movement melodically in these songs. There's not a lot of movement melodically. Do you know what I mean by that? Oh, absolutely. Okay. I was also just picturing you like maybe like 18 months into that listening going, yes, yes, we're just two lost souls. I got it. I got it. You know, I love I love that record. Shine on you, crazy diamond. Oh. I love that record. Love That's it. It's a great record. But uh, throwing things back on track, then the next song up is uh, another Liam one. And I had mentioned earlier the strongest Liam track on the album coming up later. And this is, this is where it comes up for me. That's ain't got nothing. Jason, what do you think about this one? This is the worst song on the record for me. Uh, I, I just don't think it's very interesting at all. The, the riff is okay. I think the percussion 
the drumming piece is performed well by Zach. It's a little off time. There's lots of fills. It's a very herky, jerky kind of song. It doesn't flow very well. I can't get into a group. I probably have had a few pops and I just <laughs> want to groove and lose myself in it. And this song doesn't work for me. There's there's like this shouting in the background. I just, uh, this song sucks. I'm not into it. <laughs> Stop trying to mimic uh, Mr. Gleason, okay? I disagree with Gleason on the previous song. I probably <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Sumner, what's your take on this? I think in interviews around the time he said, uh, it's a rant. It's a really big rant. But last time I looked, if you're gonna rant, you have to rant about something. You know, it's uh, that's not what a rant is. You're just you just sound angry about nothing in particular. And 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 again, it's specific not uh, not just Lennon's solo career, I would say specifically, give me some truth. Well, 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 and I found out. Uh, uh, if you listen to those three songs, it's just ripping them off. It's sub. It, they're subpar solo Lennon ripoff stuff with a lyric that goes nowhere. I think it's bad. <laughs> I think it's. I think it's. It's actually. It's actually bad. Um, I, I don't. I don't like it at all. Shouldn't have been on the album. I I could appreciate that, and then until you said you know give me some truth it didn't that kind of clicked for me and you know you're absolutely right this maybe is like a maybe a uh a photocopy of a photocopy of of something from uh lennon's uh canon of material but, but no does that so much better you know it's like he, he will he will take things and he'll rip them off pretty specifically quite obviously but he'll put them through a filter mm -hmm. so he'll add something noel-esque to it uh, to bring to the table but this this sounds yeah facsimile like you said it just it just sounds like he's gone and, and, and faxed himself some solo lennon and it's uh, it's like why why are you bothering what what's being achieved here you know i mean initially what attracted me to the tune a little bit and making me think that this was his best contribution to the record is i kind of like the way he puts it over is kind of very liam to me so it's almost yeah. kind of like uh, classic Liam in a way. But, uh, you know, now that you've said about the, the other Lennon stuff, you know, I definitely could see that side of the coin. But at least uh, with, I'm out, uh, with I'm Out of Time, at least he does do some things that are melodically interesting. Mm -hmm. And I think, like Jason said, there's a couple of earworm hooks in there. Th this is just, you know, I only know two chords on the guitar, so I'm going to write around those two chords. And you're going to get a melody that is as pedestrian as you would expect from that in that situation. You know, the, the, the there's I, I get that there's like a punky spirit going on, but it's not it's not good enough really to to, to to melodically to have that little going on. You know, it's like I will defend so much of this album in exactly the way that, that Jason's been saying so well about you know the the, the all of the the repetition I'm fine with and the losing yourself and its stuff I'm great with and the psychedelia I'm, I think it's great and I'm I have no problem with it. I love all that stuff. I think it's it's a real strength of the album but none of that's going on here because it's it's the Lennon stuff and you just you're just left with a very nothingy melody and and ranting about nothing in particular yeah it's not great let's see where my partner in crime falls on this one mr hudson what's what's going on in your head for this i don't like the verses at all i actually think the, the course is is not bad i think there's a little more substance to the lyrics you guys are giving it credit for i think the song is really about it's almost kind of like cast no shadow like he's lived his life in this spotlight everybody wants a piece of him whether it be other famous people the paparazzi 
the music press, the fans, and uh, it's just ruined him. And he just wants to go away. There's just nothing left of him. Uh, and it's almost like you're saying, you've already taken everything from me. Just leave me alone. But uh, I, I, I don't think it's a good song. I think it should have been left off the album. And rounding out this uh, circle of opinion, Mr. Gleason. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think uh, the only thing that really kind of saves this, and it doesn't save it, but it's okay <laughs> in, this, in this song, is uh, the solo section's decent. I think it's okay. The, just the, the one little 30 second, it's not even 30 seconds, it's quick. But I think that section's okay. And to Steve's point, like, if you're going to rip off John Lennon's solo work, do it well. You know, the thing about John Lennon's solo work is, who can't listen to my mummy's dead? I can't get it out of my head. And like all the, 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 the ranting and screaming that's going on in the plastic Ono band record and like the sparseness and isolation. And like, you don't have to go far to figure out the emotional place that, that John Lennon's coming from in those, those, those first two records, you know, here it's like a fucking whiny brat. who's like, man, my life's hard. It just is like, Ooh, it's not good, but I, I agree with you. That's what he's trying to channel. I, mm. It's 100%. I mean, the jealous guy thing earlier was like, oh, God. But yeah, this is like a shitty version of Give Me Some Truth. You know, there's no, it's like I, I'm really disillusioned with the world and politics and tricky dicky and the whole thing. This is just, it's just not good. Well, then. I really can't oh, counter that at everyone all. Everyone else <laughs> thought it sucked too. There was no one that defended. Mine must be the most brutal, but I mean, it's just it's it's really it's like a you know fifth grade attempt at it. You know, yeah, well, good. Now the next track up in the order, I'm interested to hear everybody's take on this one. Really, I think ultimately this should have been the last song on the album, and that is the nature of reality. Steve Sumner, what's your take on this? So this is uh, Andy Bell's singular contribution. And again, I think he was reading the room to a certain extent and, and doing something appropriate for the album. It's it's an interesting riff. I like the way that it sort of time, fits interestingly into the time signature. It's strangely bluesy for Oasis. I mean, Oasis, is they are not a, a blues-influenced band really and the, mm. it's strange to have that do 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 sort of thing going on very unusual but they they pull it off uh it works yeah i, I really like it i really like it um I, I think i prefer gem's contributions generally to andy's but i i think it's a solid album track it's not sort of top tier but it, it's definitely i think the whole album would have benefited from more gem more andy rather than some of this liam stuff 
Um, they should they should have let Liam have a, a solo album around this time. You know, it's a classic example of look if you're stockpiling tunes, go and do a solo album, and get it out of your system. But <laughs> re- really, you are you are bringing down the quality of this Oasis album, especially when we know that uh, Lord Don't Slow Me Down was out there, Dreaming Miracle Machine was out there, Come On Outside was out there. You know, we, we could have had a bunch more Null tracks and maybe some more Game and Andy. So strange strange decisions. Maybe Liam just wanted a swimming pool because he wasn't getting enough songwriting <laughs> credits. I don't, I don't know. See, now I think actually, you know, you speak to a very valid point there is that perhaps maybe if they did leave off some of these Liam tunes that are a little on the weaker side and put in even just more Gam and Andy tunes, like it might have made for a more interesting record. Because I think that those guys definitely have some solid tunes in them. Maybe they can't, you know, do a write an entire record, but they can definitely pepper some stuff in that, that clearly has some has some legs to it. I don't know. David, what do you think of this one? I, I more or less like it. I think it has a little of a Beatles tinge at the beginning. And I think there's an attempt at it to be a little more psychedelic, which like I think Steve said he was reading the room. That's kind of the, the flow of the album. I love that cool riff that Noel plays during the verses. I guess you could say my interpretation of it is uh, your reality is your reality. Whatever headspace you're in, that's the way you're seeing the world at the time. I think uh, it's probably the second or third best song on this back on the back half of the album after uh to be where there's life and, and get off your high horse lady that's very interesting and I would, I would i would definitely have to agree with that mr gleason what do you think of this one the helter skelter ripoff guitar intro oh for christ's it's, sake it's completely <laughs> unwelcome it's the same riff it's i mean seriously listen to it and tell me you don't hear helter skelter I, no. <laughs> it's exactly the same. It really, uh, good Lord. I really feel like to, to David's point, this whole song is like a Beatles ripoff. I mean, I look, it's such a tired thing to say about them, but I mean, they do it all the time. The vocal sounds like it's right out of a day in the life, especially the effects on his voice, you know, like. I bet the Black Crows sound like the Stones too, right? (laughs) They don't though, but I can point out specific examples of how they don't. You can't tell me that that riff is not exactly the fucking same. No, no, no. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm only like charming mess, right? Charming mess sounds like that Rod Stewart tune. There's no getting away from yeah. it. How they even put that out is beyond me. Did somebody <laughs> stop you before you ripped off Rod Stewart? Like that's helter skelter. Did you guys hear this or is it just me? No, no, no. You're, you're, you're speaking to something very valid. I'm, I'm just fooling around. Okay. Yeah. This, this was the first guitar solo. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I love the main riff. I like the tempo of it. I just wish that they didn't rip. I just wish it had some of their own shit in it instead of like that fucking guitars like it just turned me off immediately when i heard it i'm like oh really and then they go into like the 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 second half of that guitar part is cool like they don't need that they don't need that i think it could be so much better if someone was like yeah don't don't play the the intro to Skelter, please. <laughs> a little, maybe, uh, you know, someone uh, doing a little editing for them, perhaps. Well, or a producer to just say, you know, you're ripping that off. I mean, people give Zeppelin shit. Jesus. <laughs> this is just as bad. Now, Jason, what do you think of this one? I think this is one of the best tracks on the record. I, I love how that whole riff comes in and breaks down into the groove. I, I i love that it's so unoasis if they're ripping off the beatles i don't know i don't care i think it sounds awful. when this song comes on i turn it up so loud 
I love this song. I just think it's dirty. I love the harmonies. I love all the layered vocals. I love the the like sort of melodic keys that come under the solo break. Love it. Uh, that brings us to the uh, to the final track on this album. I kind of already uh, gave my opinion a little bit on this one, and that's Soldier On. Now, I think this song, I, I I don't really care for it all that much. I think it's kind of a, a petering out to this album uh, as an end. You know, I think it, it would have been a tight 10 tunes and we could have ended with the nature of reality and really done without another little Liam Gallagher bit of business here. But, uh, you know, I could definitely be in the minority. I'm not even sure. I can't read the room on this one. David, what do you think of this tune? It's the worst song on the album. I mean, the lyrics on it are by far my least favorite lyrics on the album. It's just so kind of repetitive. It's one of those uh, don't give up type songs, you know, with very little literal goodness to it or whatever. Uh, this is just a piece of crap. So you don't like it is what you're saying? I don't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Gleason, what do you think of this? Uh, app title. Uh, I had to soldier on to get through it. Yeah, really. Honest to God, what a piece of shit. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> boring. All just right. boring. Just boring. It's boring. Well, everybody seems to be on a similar page thus far. Jason? I, I, I'm sure Jason digs it. Jason, <laughs> dig it. Oh, sorry. No, I do not. It just sucks. And I guess Noel's playing drums. Like, it's not even Zach on drums. Now it's Noel playing drums. And it just, it doesn't work. All right, Mr. Sumner, you get the last word on the last track. What do you think? <laughs> I'm going to try and take a, a a different approach to it. So it, it, I was just making some notes there because it, it, ABBA popped into my head. <laughs> because... ABBA used to do this thing, which is they used to take phrases like common idioms or phrases from, from, from English and sort of use them as a song title and then run with them. So you'd have so long or the winner takes it all or the name of the game and you get this thing. But they also managed to do it brilliantly with uh, kind of middle European phrases like Mamma Mia and Voulez-vous, right? And, and, and have these really meaningful and interesting lyrics. And soldier on, I just suddenly realized in the conversation, is exactly that. It's, you know, soldier on, get through it. And what he's done is he's managed to, bearing in mind that ABBA were doing it not in their first language and brilliantly came up with really meaningful lyrics based on this. He's taken the phrase soldier on and managed to make it mean literally nothing and also done exactly what he does uh, with I'm Out of Time, which is just say the name of the song 37 times to end the album. <laughs> I mean, it was, what a shocking choice i mean to to end an album and like jason said to even be on the album i mean it's a it's a waste of everybody's time and and i think jason's point is so important about you know the t the two favorite tracks being not even gallagher brothers ones it's like you know give give noel a bit of room to breathe stick a bit more andy and get on there remove liam completely and you've got a completely different proposition of a record here the first half of this record's fantastic and then it just goes downhill the more you let Liam sing, uh, Liam write. I really, overall, I think this is a strong record, but there are some real structural difficulties, and 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 ending it like this is a is a travesty. 
I think this is actually the only song we've universally agreed on here in the room. So that's uh, that's pretty interesting. All right, boys. So what we're going to do here, going to go around. I'd like everybody's overall thought on this album. Just a quick one. And then your star rating. And uh, Mr. Hudson, we're going to start with you. 3.75. Um, I think for a band that long into their career, it's it's really, really good. I think it's great that they took a chance and made an album that's different from some of the other ones that they have made. I think it foreshadowed Noel Gallagher's solo career. Mr. Gleason? So it's a five-point scale? Yes, sir. Yeah, 1.5. Boring. Boring, boring, boring. Some good ideas that could have been fleshed out. If that's what they're going for, that's fine. That's for me. Anybody, I'm glad that anybody loves it. You know, sometimes, Jason, you'll like this. Sometimes people tell me how much they hate the dead. They see the dead sticker on my guitar and they're like, I fucking hate the dead. I'm like, oh, hey, you know what? More for me. Isn't that great? So, you know, I don't have to like it. And you know what? I fucking don't. This record sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so 1.5 was generous then, was it? Oh. I wanted, yeah, you know. I th- look, <laughs> a three is not very good out of ten. <laughs> That's true. All right, Mr. Donches, what's your your final thoughts and your star rating? I, I love the concept of wanting to listen to a record from beginning to end and, and experience the whole record. The reality is, I'm I'm a you know Generation X guy, and uh, I got a phone and it's got limited capacity. And so when I'm looking at a record, I'm looking at how many of these songs am I going to actually like just keep downloaded on my phone where I will listen to on a regular basis. And uh, this record gets six out of the 11 tracks that I have kept on my phone. And of those, there are four of them that I think are standout tracks. So to me, I'm going to give it a 3.5. So when I saw this reach number five on the Billboard 200, I was kind of shocked. Like, because most of the people I talked to never even heard of this record. Now, see, I think I'm going to have to go a little bit higher than everybody else, because I once I got into this record and I got rolling with it and it happens every time I pick it back up, I listen to it you know, time and time and time again. And I really I really think overall, this is a strong record. I mean, you guys made some very fair points about everything, but I'm going to have to go with a four on this record. And Mr. Sumner, I'm going to let you have the last word here. I'm going to give it three, whoa, three and three and a half. Oh, it's really hard. Three and three and a half stars. I think three and a half stars. Yeah, I, I think I think it is half a really good record. I think Jason's list was absolutely bang on about about which tra- I have like a playlist of sort of late period Oasis and um, there's basically that that list. I love the turning, but I, I have to say I I mean I feel like a really bad oasis fan thinking to be where they're to be where there's life is my favorite thing on the album but i'm pretty obsessed with it i just i just sit there just playing the bass to it just (laughs) hypnotically going on with it it's it's what a what a track i love it so yeah i think those are my two favorites on the album yeah three and a half stars it's a shame because i think they were turning a corner to go and do something different and then liam said something about Noel's wife and a guitar was thrown and a grape was thrown, which is quite a specific fruit uh, in that final argument <laughs> they had. And Noel walked out of the gig and that was it. That was the end. And so it's a strange ending because it doesn't feel like a lot of 
final albums you know it's like if you listen to sort of final albums of either lineups or bands sometimes there's like a this is going to blow up vibe or we've run out of steam vibe or everyone's arguing vibe or you know there's there's something about it you know that's really specifically going on but this just feels like a an an interesting new beginning you know it's like a, a, a modest but interesting corner turning that then just stopped dead it was just cut down in its prime and we'll never know where the story was going to go next which seems like a real shame because i I mean those guys can't stand each other i don't i don't think there's any going back now uh for them so yeah we'll never know where it went i mean the answer really is noel gallagher's high flying birds (laughs) is the short answer um but yeah it's 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 a uh it's a good album not a great one so our collective rating on this one is 3.25 out of five but uh, guys, this was really fun. I really uh, enjoyed this. I hope all you guys did too. Uh, playout track we're going to do uh, in a moment. But just before we go, we want to announce the next record we're going to be addressing. And that's when Mr. Jason Dunge is going to be leading the show. Jason, why don't you tell us what the next record is? It would uh, behoove us all as Black Crows and Oasis fans to recognize that right now we have a couple of significant anniversary tours that are happening. I think everybody needs to go out and buy some tickets. And we are going to talk about one of the records that's being celebrated. And that is the Blackberry Smokes record, The Whippoorwill. Very, very nice selection. I look forward to that. And I hope everybody uh, now will play along at home and listen in when we come back with that. To play us out, I'm going to go with a version of Waiting for the Rapture from the band's October 17th, 2008 show at Wembley Arena in London. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next time.